Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, John McGee, and today we have a very special episode. For the very first time ever, we're joined by an outside guest, Dr. Paul Tripp. Uh, Paul Tripp is a pastor, he's a speaker, he's a best-selling author, and in many respects, he's a pastor to other pastors and leaders. So recently, our staff uh, had the privilege of hearing from Paul. Uh, he addressed our staff. We read his new book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church. So we read the book as a staff. We heard from Paul. We discussed as uh, a larger staff and then also into uh, some of our smaller teams. And while Paul was speaking, I got the same message probably 25 times on my phone from people saying, you've got to get Paul on the podcast. Uh, what he's saying, uh, leaders need to hear. I'm challenged. I'm learning. I'm rethinking some of the ways that I'm relating uh, to others. And we need to share that. So we were excited to share with you uh, this this podcast recording that we did uh, with Paul earlier. Now, we recorded this during the famous snowmageddon here in Dallas. Uh, that day, I had no uh, electricity in my home. We actually had a water line uh, break. The, the whole town was not working optimally. So the audio is a little bit less than, uh, but we think it's so helpful. The content, I think, will be uh, so insane insightful and give you uh, different things to think about that we wanted to make sure uh, that we shared uh, this with you. So without any further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Paul Tripp. Paul, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be with you. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, so we talk about some very serious topics, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So <laughs> with that in mind, I, I thought we'd start of all places uh, with your mustache. And uh, so as you address the staff, um, people obviously were in, very encouraged with the content. Um, we had kind of our, our younger folks said that your, um, your wardrobe was on point, that you were the hippest 70-year-old uh, that they knew, and uh, lots and lots and lots of chatter about the mustache. And lots of, uh, lots of young men were going, I, you know, when I grow up, I want a mustache like Paul's. So I'm assuming there's an origin story. I don't know if you came out of the womb like that, if you got together with a, uh, a marketing agency and they said, let's, let's brand uh, the whole ministry around this mustache. But uh, sir, do tell us uh, about the mustache, how it came to be, and uh, how you even think about that uh, as, as part of a, I don't even know if it's a cornerstone of your ministry, but it is the most recognizable uh, feature about you for sure. It's not actually a mustache, it's a mutation. <laughs> I have three of them on my back. <laughs> Uh, one on my knee. It's so weird. My mom had one right on her forehead. We have, used, used to have to say, Mom, shave. We're going out to eat. Um, yeah. Did not see that coming. Uh, I, my, my, my mustache uh, at one point had its own Twitter site. There was a point where my mustache had more followers than I did. You did. True, true story? Yes. That's amazing. That's true. Um, so uh, I tell guys who have wimpy little, uh, they're 40 years old, but they have wimpy little junior high school mustaches, <laughs> just a little bit of chicken manure. Right there. <laughs> right here over the lip. They'll be, they'll be socially distanced for a while, but. Nitrogen, that's mustache. the key. Okay. How about, <laughs> that's amazing. I don't know, I, you know, I can't remember where I parked my car. It's funny what you do remember, but I remember years and years ago, uh, some guys 
it was a conference. I don't even know what conference it was, but they actually did an interview with first. The first bit was an interview with your mustache. Do you remember that one uh, at all? You probably it's probably been done before. And then there was yes, an, I and, do. and then there was an interview. The, the follow up was um, it was your mustache's mustache that your mustache was so robust that it actually had its own mustache. And so they interviewed <laughs> the mustache within the mustache. And um, I just thought that was that was really funny. So if you have Paul to your to your church, um, it is a target rich environment. You can have fun uh, with the mustache. But that's not why we. Go ahead. Oh, there's one other thing to say about this. Uh, If you Google it, you can Google Paul Tripp takes off his mustache. You can see me remove the entire thing and put it back on in one video. It's just a prop. Yeah, it is. It's just a prop. Okay, brother. Well, uh, we didn't obviously uh, bring you on to talk about facial hair, uh, although that is uh, incredibly uh, interesting. Uh, We we brought you on, as we said in the introduction, to talk about uh, the book Lead. And um, and Paul, I remember when you addressed our staff, you started with uh, why and how uh, you came to this book. And it was it wasn't intellectual curiosity for you. There was some emotion. So you want to start there? Uh, Tell us about how. kind of the, the book came to be, how your thoughts uh, were formed, and uh, what, where your passion kind of came from on this. So several years ago, I wrote a book called Dangerous Calling. Uh, the origin of that book was um, my own story. I was a pastor, but I was a very, very angry man. I was in the midst of destroying my life and my ministry and didn't know it. And by God's grace, he rescued me and restored me. And so uh, as I began traveling around the country and around the world because of my writing, I would tell my story and pastor after pastor after pastor would come to me and say, I'm that man or I'm dealing with this. And out of that came themes of the particular temptations, struggles that are unique to ministry. And so that's what Dangerous Calling was about. Uh, And when I wrote Dangerous Calling, I had a sense that it would change my life, Mm. that because of the honesty and transparency of that book and because it would speak into the struggles of pastors, I would begin to be the guy who got the call when there was a struggling pastor or a church leadership had discovered something about their pastor. And that began to happen. I got call after call after call over a period of years. It really did change my life. I one point said, I think I've been called by God to be sad, to mourn Hmm. the rest of my life because of what Hmm. I've been exposed to. But as I, I worked with churches and worked with pastors, um, What became clear is that behind struggling pastors, behind struggling ministry leaders was often a dysfunctional leadership community. And it became clear that a second book was was needed Hmm. because leadership is never individual ever. Leadership is always ministry is always a community project. And the health of that community is very, very important to the health of a person's leadership. And so I gave myself to write lead and I thought we don't need a, a model for leadership. The gospel is our model. It tells us so much about 
who we should be and how we should conduct ourselves and, and what it is we need and where spiritual health is to be found and so on and so forth. Love it. Well, I, I did, I found myself as I, as I read it, as, I, as really the rest of our staff did as well. Um, just going, this is, this is true. I know this to be true, both in my own life in the life of our church in uh, really other leaders that I know of. Uh, a lot of times I'll want to fight with authors and say, that's just not true. That's not well said. And uh, so many of the things that you said, uh, Paul, I just go, yeah, that is, that is true. I've seen that played out uh, elsewhere or in my own life. And, uh, and it just rang true. And I was excited to share, uh, share it with, uh, with our audience. So uh, you want to talk about just kind of, if you could summarize uh, the book, if you could put it down into, um, you know, uh, a few sentences, um, can you kind of tell us the, the heartbeat, the thrust uh, of the book? So, so the, the, the core of the book, the, the core theme is that ministry fruitfulness which all of us should desire is the result of uh, longevity because fruit doesn't come overnight. Uh, Change most often is a, is a process and not an event. The, the, The key then to ministry longevity is spiritual health. Uh, Because in ministry, you are exposed to temptations. Uh, you carry huge responsibilities. You are under attack. Uh, there are enormous temptations, and so spiritual health is is vital. And then the third thing is the key to spiritual health is gospel community. Uh, I think the one of the overwhelming messages of the New Testament could be put in a sentence. Your walk with God is a community project. The, the new picture of New Testament Christianity is fundamentally relational, vertical, hand lifted up for help from the Lord, horizontal, hand reached out for help of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's it's just relational. So the key to ministry fruitfulness is longevity. The key to longevity is spiritual health. The key to spiritual health is gospel community. I love it. So I think um, everyone, I assume, would nod uh, with that. They probably, I, I was really struck by um, the key to fruitfulness being longevity and just uh, not quitting or uh, not disqualifying yourself, uh, spiritual health, and then uh, community. So I think um, once people get their arms around kind of those three points, I think they would agree with them. I think what would be difficult for some to understand is actually what this gospel community looks like for um, a leader. So they, many of them have probably told others they need that. Um, they've led classes, they've kicked off small groups, they've gave, uh, you know, these rousing uh, calls to being in a small group, to being known, but they just don't do it uh, themselves and candidly would, would struggle to understand what that would look like. So could you kind of paint a picture of what that could look like for a leader? What would a gospel community look like for a leader in a local church? If you if you take the the word picture leader and you envision he's the one out front and people are following him, here's the deadly deadly part of that picture. His back is to the crowd. That's good. And that's often the the uh, 
the position of leaders. It's, it's back to the people that I lead. Now, now contrast this with, with what the Bible would teach us about ourselves. Uh, the Bible would tell me that even as a leader, uh, I'm a person in the midst of my own sanctification. Yes, the power of sin has been broken in the justifying mercies of Christ, but the presence of sin still remains. And so even as a leader, my the greatest danger in my spiritual life is still me. <laughs> because as that great old hymn of the faith says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. So that's the first thing. I've got this dangerous thing still inside of me called sin. Uh, here's a second thing. Sin blinds. Uh, it has the power to deceive. And guess who it blinds first? Me. So, so no one in ministry can properly say these words. No one knows me better than I know myself. That's a delusion. Because as long as sin lives inside of me, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness. Things that I don't see well, see at all, or I see with inaccuracy, like looking into a carnival mirror that distorts what I'm seeing. Hmm. So what I need is, hmm. I need a community of people around me who will function with both encouragement and confrontation as instruments of seeing, S-E-E-I-N-G. That's Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Encourage one another daily, lest anybody be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, what happens over a life of ministry if you don't have that gospel community around you, you become hardened. The things that maybe would have bothered you early in ministry, flashes of anger, flashes of pride, self-interest, uh, money issues, don't bother you anymore. That's, mm -hmm. the, that's the progressive hardening of the heart. And so I need gospel community in my life. Now, what does that, what does that mean, gospel community? Well, it means I need a community of believers around me who believe in the power of transforming grace. They believe in the power of grace, that their hope for me is not that they can whip me into shape by a job description, but that Jesus is for us and Jesus is with us and Jesus is in us. And in his grace, we find everything we need for life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 2, verse 3 and 4. He has already given me everything I need for life and godliness, not just for eternal life, for godliness. Godliness is a God-honoring life between the already of my conversion and not yet of my home going. So I need to be surrounded by people who get and believe the gospel, who will bring the gospel to me, gospel wisdom, gospel hope, gospel strengthening. Now, if that's going to work, I know this is a long answer. No, you're doing great. Thank but you. if that's going to work, that community needs these two character qualities. First, 
is the humility of approachability. I would encourage every leader who's listening to me right now to commit to praying these three prayers every day. Prayer number one, Lord, I'm a person in desperate need of help today. That's a confession of your ongoing need of God's grace. It's reminding yourself that you're not a grace graduate. Second prayer, I pray in your grace that you would send your helpers my way. That's turning your turning around and facing the crowd that you're leading. Won't you please bring somebody my way? Uh, that help could be a passage scripture. It, the help could be a hymn or a worship song. That help could be a conversation, a text from somebody, a tweet. Uh, could be in a variety of forms. God, I, I need help today. And then the third prayer is crucial. Please give me the humility to receive the help when it comes. We can be so incredibly defensive. Uh, I need help. Please send your helpers my way. Please give me the humility to receive the help when it comes. So that's the humility of approachability. There's a second thing, character quality. It's the courage of loving honesty. Now, the Bible talks about the truth spoken in love because truth that's not spoken in love ceases to be the truth because it gets bent, twisted by other emotions and other agendas. Mm -hmm. It's love that allows the truth of what needs to be communicated to stay pure. So I've got to, I've got to get rid of my baggage so I'm communicating what God wants this person to he hear or to know. Now, that's the, that's the essential, what I've described as essential sanctifying ministry of the body of Christ. It's what the body of Christ was, was meant to do. And what needs to be said in this conversation is there's no indication anywhere in the New Testament that a pastor or a ministry leader is safe living up above or outside of the body of Christ. It, the most influential yeah. leader in the church needs the ministry of the body of Christ. You can't sur surround yourself with just sycophants. People are so amazed at you that they would never uh, think of speaking uh, to you in ways that you desperately need to hear. Uh, you can't surround yourself just by advocates or just by defenders because then, then there's, there's no one to help you deal with the blindness. Uh, when I was that angry man, if you had characterized me as being angry, it would have hurt my feelings. <laughs> but I, but I was. Yeah. I, did, I just didn't see it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yes, I think uh, approachability, creating um, environments, you know, that are <clears throat> uh, loving, 
and uh, and not harsh, tr- truthful, uh, but uh, but not harsh and, and loving um, is the way we're going to you know come out of this, uh, or we're going to we're going to have uh, longevity. And I was recently just sitting at a, at a table with some of the directors on my team. They were they were men. And, and yet another, you know, leader had, had fallen and, uh, sexually. And so we just kind of, you know, uh, tried to reverse engineer how that could happen, uh, what, what that could look like, uh, in our own lives that we were going to get there. And, um, and just a, in a moment of honesty, I just said, you know, Hey guys, meet me first. But when, when is the last time you've, you've, uh, just very, very, very candid, uh, over coffee. When's the last time you saw uh, a woman's chest that was not your wife's? And, um, and let's just, let's just have that conversation and where are you tempted? And, um, what, what are you doing when you are tempted? What is your, what is your plan? What does that look like? When do you bring your wife in? When do you bring your community in? Uh, and we just had, you know, for 20, 20 minutes before we got to the, uh, the agenda, we had a great conversation. Uh, the word gospel came up a lot as we, uh, reminded ourselves of it and, uh, and tried just to live openly and honestly, um, but there was a, there was a sense of sobriety. Like if we don't if we don't do this, if we sit here and drink coffee and talk about others who sin, and we don't talk about our own or where we are even tempted to, um, you know, we're just we're we're not smarter, we're not wiser, we're just next. And um, and it was a, it was a really just kind of holy moment, and we had uh, had a great conversation, then jumped into uh, the agenda. And, um, and I just, I hope for leaders that they, that's, that wouldn't be a foreign conversation, that that would feel very, very natural and that others could, uh, you could not only drive that conversation, but others could approach you and they could ask you, uh, you know, hey, brother, how, sister, how could I pray for you? Tell me how you're doing. And it wouldn't, and you would be very, very approachable rather than a posture or words of how dare you ask. And I think that's how we get, uh, how we get to longevity. Those are really, really good thoughts. Um, please. Can I respond? There, there are three C words that the Bible uses that we tend to look at negatively that are always used positively and hopefully. It's confrontation, confront, yeah. conviction, and confession. And, and the reason we look at those negatively is because we hate being exposed. And our, our hatred of being exposed is connected to just the fact that we, we want to think we're more righteous than we are and we want other people around us to think that we're righteous. And so it's, it's self-righteousness and horizontal acclaim that makes us look at things that God says are really beautiful things as being not so beautiful. Listen, if I'm, if I'm confronted and the spirit of God works in me, confession, conviction. So I now see my sin and I am led to confess that is my savior reaching his arms out, wrapping them around me and drawing me near. Yeah. That is a beautiful thing. It's really good. That's God loving me. Listen, if you feel the the weight of your sin, you are being visited by glorious grace. Hmm. And let's say it, enough of shame that puts us in the hiding. Jesus shamed shame on the cross. Hmm. His naked public exposure was basically saying, 
shame me and watch what I will do with it. I will rise in victory over this. You won't shame me. Hmm. Hmm. I love it. Because he was, he knew what his sacrifice would do. And so we can't allow ourselves to live in the fear of, of shame. The beauty of the gospel is that there's, there's nothing that would ever be revealed about us, known, exposed about us, that hasn't been covered by the blood of Jesus. Hmm. And, and the one to whom we ultimately confess is never surprised by our confession. He never says, oh, my goodness, I didn't know that. What am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? Is my grace big enough? <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't happen. So uh, how, do, how do you establish this gospel community? I, I want to make this clear. The most influential leader in that community needs to model it. Amen. Amen. They need to see his moments of confession. They need to, people need to hear that. He needs to model transparency. He needs to model a need for the body of Christ reaching out. When I, in the moments where I've gone to a new church, because I happen to have this public image, you know, the, the ministry Paul trip, I, I have to go to the pastor and say, look, I'm a man. I, it needs pastoring. Please pastor me. Hmm. I'm a member of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to stand above this body of Christ. I need help. Yeah. It's, I have to say that. And people know me well. I'm going to them all the time saying, speak into my life. I need it. It's really good, Paul. It's really good. Uh, the most influential leader needs to model this. And uh, so in a church context, you know, uh, most churches of, of size will have a small groups pastor or a community pastor. And, uh, you know, and I, I've thought recently, you know what, I think the senior pastor or whatever your church polity is, whoever is your leader, in, in many respects, they are um, the small groups pastor because um, their modeling of it will say so much more than any classes or books or, um, you know, really pithy uh, emails. Um, it is going to be your life. It is going to be the things that you talk about. It's going to be your illustrative material that shows the body what it is uh, that you're talking about. Um, so let, let, please. Let, let, me, let me talk about how one way that you can do that, because we, we really want this to be practical yeah. for, for leaders. Those of you who preach or teach, you can do this in your preaching and teaching in, in ways that are appropriate, that don't uh, detract from the things that you're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I would be preaching and I'd stop for a moment and I would say, I wish I could say that this is easy for me, but it's not. Please pray for your pastor. Yeah. There's, they're setting a model. I can't tell you how many times I would have people come to me a couple weeks later in the aisle of the, of the church or in a text and say, been praying for your pastor. How are you doing with that? How beautiful is Love that? Love it. Love it. Uh, because I've broken down just by a 30-second statement. I've broken down the wall between me and my congregation because I've been willing to make. Now, I'm not giving them blood and guts. I'm not, I'm not telling them things that I shouldn't, shouldn't tell. Uh, but I've broken down that wall and invited community 
uh, toward me that I desperately need. I love it. Yes, you could do that from the front. You could do that in smaller meetings. You can do that uh, over a cup of coffee. You can model yep. that and ask for that. Uh, really, really good. Paul, a second ago, you talked about um, kind of this progression in a leader's heart um, that the things that used to bother them don't now. Um, in, in your book, um, on pages, uh, this for, for our readers, if you want to pick it up, two, uh, 111 and 112, you talked about a progression in a community, um, which I thought was so helpful um, about you know, where a leader often starts and then these kind of you know, headlines, how, how they got to uh, that point. Um, could, you, could you talk about that a little bit, um, that progression in a, in, a, in a gospel community, how it would get to that place, how it would allow for something like to ha- that to happen? Um, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on that. I think it's, it's most often the case that uh, leadership communities start out with a commitment to be a gospel community. They want, the, they want the church or the ministry to be healthy, and they know what the New Testament says about that. And so there is... There is rightful gospel encouragement and gospel accountability. But here's what happens. As the thing gets bigger and there's more and more achievement, achievement begins to be a bigger value than character. No one says we're going to let this happen, but it happens. And the people that held the key leader accountable now become his defenders. And, and, the, and the statement is, look what God has done through him. Look at all his fruit. Sure, he's, he's not perfect, but look what God's done. Danger, 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 danger. All of a sudden, he's lost that core community. And uh, ultimately... They become advocates. Now they're part of that community. Uh, they don't even feel the need to defend anymore. They're, com- they're completely comfortable with what that community has become. Uh, listen, we have watched this happen several times in the last two, three years, where a key leader is under charge. And those people that have charged them are excoriated by leadership. That's right. They're ripped. Their reputations are destroyed. Uh, Often they're driven out of uh, a local church ministry. Now, there it is. That community is so far down the road. They've become such advocates of a particular culture that it's impossible for them to even receive the possibility that something's wrong. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, but it's a, it's a, it's a progression. So accountability, the accountability community becomes a defender community, becomes an advocacy community. That's the dangerous thing. Now, you can't talk about that without talking about achievement. And I think it's important for us to have this conversation. We should want great things for the gospel. We should be zealous and passionate. I'm seven years old. I have a fire in my belly every morning. I love the gospel. And I'm working as hard now as I've ever worked. And my hero is 
a professor at a seminary I went to, his name was George Handy Wales, who they carried out of the classroom at 103. He died in the classroom. That's teaching. amazing. Uh, I'd love to be that kind, that kind of man, just still a passionate. They couldn't keep him away. Um, so we want to achieve great things for the kingdom of God, but we must not make achievement our core value. Godliness is our core value. Holiness is our core value. Yeah. Um, character is our core value because uh, it's what our Savior died to implant in us, to make possible for us. You, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, that's not just a list of character qualities that you should aspire to. Those are gifts of the grace of Christ. They would be absolutely impossible for us apart from grace. Hmm. And so uh, ministry should never compromise that which Christ died for, ever. And hmm. we know that we don't have any particular way of producing fruit. Best fruit in the world is dependent on the operation of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people for there to be fruit. And so we commit ourselves to being who we're supposed to be, to only doing the things that we've been called to do, and we entrust fruit to our Lord. So you, we've, got, we've got to prioritize character. It has to become a value to us. And here, here's what this means. It's got to be on the schedule. If you want to know hmm. your true values in life, look at where you spend your time. Time is... Time, energy, and money are indications of what we really treasure, we really value. And so we, we've got to have in our normal schedule of ministry things that are about godliness, holiness, things that encourage that in one another, humility, uh, love, joyfulness, servanthood, patience, gentleness, Kindness. Uh, we talk about those things. We pray for those. Uh, imagine 20 minutes before a meeting, just dedicated to kindness. Talking about kindness, praying for kindness. Talking about what it means to treat the people under you with kindness. That's character stuff. Those kind of conversations in, empowered by the Spirit of God can radically change a ministry community. Here's what, here's a practical way of thinking about this, an illustration. I love, 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 love the language of church planting. Hmm. When I was in seminary, no one talked about church planting. That sounds strange, but it's true. Hmm. I love the fact that we just have this zeal for planting gospel-centered churches. But when I hear a church planting group say, we're going to plant 450 churches in Southeast Asia in the next five years, my brain melts. <laughs> because I love that agenda but I think, where are we going to find 450 spiritually healthy young men? How are we going to surround them with spiritually healthy community so that these 450 churches have longevity of ministry? That's a much harder thing. I mean, you could, you could find 450 leader profile guys who are good communicators. It's a lot harder 
to find 450 really spiritually healthy young men. A lot harder to set around them spiritually healthy community. And so we can't just say, we're going to achieve, 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 achieve for the kingdom of God. Here's where you hear this. Matthew 6. Jesus ends his discussion in Matthew 6 this way. Seek first my kingdom. Now that sounds like achieve for the mm. kingdom of God. Mm. But then he says, and my, you know what the next word is? Righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's a call, not just to achieve for the kingdom, but to care about the character of the king living in your heart and life. Don't just seek my kingdom, seek my righteousness. And I'll take care of the rest, by the way, boys and girls. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that is, you know, uh, Paul, of all the things that you shared with our staff uh, that day, that was uh, when I when I went back with my own individual, t individual team and said, um, hey, guys, what resonated? What, what changes do we need to make? That was actually uh, probably the loudest. It was, it, we tend to celebrate uh, achievement. Uh, we rejoice in what God's doing and, uh, and those kind of things, but we don't spend a lot of time um, kind of seeking righteousness or celebrating uh, or pointing out kind of evidences of God's grace in other people's lives where we see uh, character uh, growth and transformation and modeling. Um, we need to spend a little bit more time uh, doing that. And, and they were right. And, and um, I, think, I think to play the long game um, and to end kind of a, with, a, with a fruitful ministry, we're going to have to step back at what will feel like a step back, but I think we're aligning ourselves with the heart of God is to um, kind of celebrate some of those things, point those things out, spend time uh, talking about them. So really, really helpful. Um, one, more, one more comment I think that, that would be helpful here. I love in Peter where it says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Mm. Think about this. How is God holy? His holiness is not one of his characteristics. Characteristic. It is the thing that marks all of his characteristics. He's holy in everything he is and everything he does. He's holy in faithfulness. He's holy in mercy. He's holy in grace. He's holy in sovereignty. He's holy in patience. He's holy in love. He's holy. So the call is not just grow in this one sort of weird, isolated, spiritual dimension of my life, but I should be holy in everything I do. The way I talk to my wife and the way I talk to my children and the way I use my time in the way I relate to people underneath me in ministry work, the way I sit in a room with a bunch of guys, a bunch of ladies, uh, if I'm a man, the way I respond to females who work with, with me mm -hmm. or ladies in my church, holy in everything I do. Well, I don't know what you're hearing when I say that, but I just, the words just convict me. What I just said just hmm. devastate me. Hmm. And I think I'm not there yet, Lord. Hmm. I, got, I got a ways to go. It's good. I, I wish I could say yesterday, everything I did was holy. Well, and I think it's been my experience that a lot of leaders start out there. Um, they run everything through a, a fine sieve. Uh, everything they do, think um, uh, in a day. And then as um, 
as, as time marches on, uh, they, they do become, uh, I can become uh, okay uh, with things that aren't holy and uh, a really good word. Paul, two questions, my own just kind of intellectual curiosity. Um, harder, easier, same uh, for leaders to, uh, to finish well now. I mean, I just, you just see the headlines. Is, is this because of social media and we can expose these things and, and, um, and, and let these failures be known uh, quickly all over the world? Uh, or is it the way it's always been? I, I think that um, there's indication in the New Testament that uh, ministry people aren't perfect and, and struggle and knowledge of the gospel doesn't necessarily mean you're living the gospel. I think that's always been around us. Church history would tell us that. I I think we're in a very, very public uh, environment now where these things are known quickly and affect us all quickly. But I think there's another thing. I think there are there's a ramping up of the temptation because of the technology that's, that's available to us. Uh, what I had to go to some extent to get myself involved in now sits on my desk. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a big temptation. But I, but I want to say this uh, because I think it's very, very important for, for people who think they can step across God's boundaries and be okay. Lust, never lust for more lust. Lust, lust for the physical experience. Hmm. And so you're playing with fire if you think just digital pornography is going to satisfy your heart. It begins to affect the way you look at physical women in your life. And uh, the things you begin to do with physical women, because lust, lust for the action. That's why Jesus doesn't put the boundary at behavior in the Sermon on the Mount. He puts the, the fences of the boundary at the heart, if you look after a woman to lust after her, yep. you will, you've already committed adultery in your heart because uh, the body only ever goes where the heart has already gone. gone. Hmm. If you lose the battle of the heart, you will lose the battle of the body. And, and so uh, in that, in that one area of sexual temptation, uh, I just think the, the, the dangers have been ramped up. Uh, there's another area. I think that we've seen the fall of not just leaders who have been involved in sexual sin, but bully, arrogant, abusive leaders. Hmm. Hmm. And again, I think that that has been ramped up in our culture uh, because you have that kind of image, you get notoriety. And it's a reprehensible view of, of leadership. I mean, the prophecy of Jesus is a smoking flax he will not quench, a bruised reed he will not break. That's a, that's a picture of tenderness mm. and uh, when is the last time you've heard a leadership conference or a men's conference 
where one of the talks was on tenderness. Hmm. You just don't, you don't hear them. And we need tender men and tender women in leadership in the church. So uh, I, 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 I don't think the temptations are new. I think they've already been around, but I think there are elements in our generation that have ramped up the temptations uh, that greet everyone in ministry. That's good. That's a good way to say that. Um, Paul, last, last question I would want to ask you is just shepherd me, help me. Um, when a leader falls, uh, you know, especially someone that I re- respect, someone maybe who has helped me in my own spiritual journey or in my own leadership or as a, as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, um, it feels really personal. I feel betrayed. Um, it, it knocks me off kilter. I mean, I, I always, you know, we'll take an inventory. Great, John, you know, um, um, beware lest you fall. What would that look like, you know, uh, today if everything went public for you or roll the clock forward, uh, the trajectory you're on five years from now, um, how easily would that be you? But it's just, it just kind of messes with me. So how do you handle that as, as a leader, someone who works with pastors, a lot of these, you know, kind of high profile guys would be your, would be your friends, uh, men that you've probably prayed with and, you know, invested in, and then they hit the headlines. Can, can you just walk me through as, uh, as someone further down the road than me, how you handle that just, just personally? So I, so I would, I would say the first thing is, uh, I'm always, hit just by waves of grief. Um, I have shed more tears in the last five years of my life than I think I've ever shed. Hmm. Uh, Grief for brothers in Christ, grief for the church, grief for the reputation of the gospel. But there's a second thing. It's anger. And I want to say this. I think when we see sin do its ugly work, it should make us angry. Hmm. Hmm. Listen, God's anger with sin is the is our hope. You would not want to live in a world where the one in charge of the world was not angry with sin. It's the anger uh, with sin that drove Jesus to the cross. On the cross, God's anger and God's grace kiss. And so there's there's a place for righteous indignation. Uh, Righteous indignation is the anger of humility. It's not Immediately, I'm better than this person. I would never do such a thing. How dare he or she? Uh, it's the it's the anger of grace. Uh, how can I be part of something different in my life and the lives of people around me? It's the anger of wisdom, running to the word of God. God, help us. God, teach us. God, grow us. God, mature us. Uh Self-righteous anger immediately divorces you from what is going on. Uh, that's the pulp, the Pharisee in the temple mm-hmm. saying, I thank God I'm not like these people. And so 
it, because you remove yourself from the situation, you close yourself off to the conviction that God will want to bring into your heart by exposing you to the life of another person. Often it's the fall of another person yeah. that God will use to rescue other people because God will even use these things for his glory. The cross teaches us that God is in the business taking the worst things ever and out of them bringing the best things ever. So I want to, I don't want to remove myself so much that I, I defend myself against the conviction that may come from me. Uh, next, uh, unrighteous, self-righteous indignation is vengeful. It's condemning. Uh, now, how do you, how do you respond to these things? With grace. Now, when, when I say these words, this is a bit troubling to me. When, when I talk about grace in the face of a person's sin, people think that just means being permissive, just being a nice guy and saying, oh, it's okay. Grace is never permissive. Grace never calls wrong right. If wrong were right, there would be no need for grace. Hmm. The worldview of grace is that there's a, such a thing as sin. Hmm. Because if there weren't, grace wouldn't be needed. So grace acknowledges sin, but moves forward saying, how can change take place? How can we do better? Where, where, can the, where is the transforming power of the gospel needed? And we grow. I, I love the fact that we're having conversations about leader abuse in the church, about abusive forms of leadership, whether that's uh, a man toward a woman or just arrogant bully leadership that we have never had before. I love that they're public. I love mm -hmm. that we're running to scripture. I love that we're encouraging one another. It's very, very important because that's grace turning this bad, bad thing into a good thing for the church. That's what the gospel alone has the power to do. Uh, I want to say one other thing. You do yourself no service spiritually by delighting in solicitous details. <laughs> Stop looking for articles about that leader that give you the blood and guts and dirt. You may unwittingly be exposing yourself to temptations you yourself never had because your enemy will use whatever material you've been exposed to in your heart. You don't need that, that article. Hmm. That's good, brother. That is a, um, that's a very wise, wise answer uh, that I think just saved up some people. Thank you. Paul, thank you so much. Um, do you have one? Any, any, do you have any last parting shots you want to you want to take, or any one one last thing? Uh, the next next wise step for these leaders to take. Well, I will say for myself, I am sad often for the church, but I am filled with hope mm. because I believe in the power of the gospel. I believe in the body of Christ that's been set up. 
I believe in the gifts that God has given his church. I believe in the rescuing content of the wisdom of the word of God. And I believe that when we follow our Savior by faith, when we are going to be his ambassadors, his message, his methods, his character, we could not be in a safer place. I have great hope Mm. for leaders out there and for the church. That's a great way to end it. Paul Tripp, thank you very much for your time.